0: Well, welcome back here to Voice in the Distance Ministries. We are back and ready to go here in James chapter 3. And again, you know, the book of James is such a powerful small book, which really kind of hits you both between the eyes and at the heart at the same time. And so last time when we were in the book of James, finishing up chapter 2, we had seen that uh, the, the, the Lord is partial to nobody. See, the Lord loves everybody all the same. And, and he is not partial to anybody. But again, what we need to be partial to are the things of him. We need to be partial to, to his word. We need to be partial to, to right. We need to be par- partial to light. We need to be partial to good. All things of God we need to be partial to. And so when we look at the things of God, we, we understand the difference. There is a sense of partiality here because God wants us to be in a place of holiness. Now, perfection does not exist, but again, to strive for the holiness, to strive for the things of God is what we're called to do. And so we're going to be looking at some very interesting topic today in the aspect of, of um, our words and, and, and that of being a teacher, the, the call of teaching and, and the destruction of our words. These are interesting concepts that that are very uh, very vital to to all of mankind at all times. you know there's an old saying that uh that that seems to stand true that more is caught than it is taught and what's interesting too is is that considering the fact that academia is all fine and dandy but our Lord and Savior walked and lived and ate and worked and did everything with the disciples they, they didn't show up to a classroom and and, and sit there for a majority of the day to be uh, j- just to learn some knowledge and so on and so forth and then the, and, and then to leave and, and to not do anything with it. see they were there to basically observe the life. Of Of the Master. I I have a saying, you know, mastering the life of the Master. So, as he taught them, as he taught them the Word of God, because he was the Word of God, he taught them scripturally, but he also taught them through example as the the Word himself, walking flesh of the Word of God. And so, there was something very special in regards to the aspect of teaching and and teachers in the day here, as there is today. No man or woman is perfect, and nor should we ever put anybody on a pedestal. Oh, I used to get so annoyed over the years. I would hear you know people about uh, bragging so much about you know certain people and whatever have you, and and um, you know, and then when you listen to them, you, you think to yourself like like why were they bragging about these particular people when they were when they were blatantly teaching blasphemic things, and yet they're they're their students have no idea whatsoever. See, to know the Word of God and to do it and to teach it for what it's saying is the key. It's very plain and simple. You can follow along with me or anybody who's following along and you should be able to see very clearly what is right and what is wrong. And 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 there are times when the Holy Spirit illuminates things to you that you will never see before. You have a conscience. God gave you a conscience and the Holy Spirit speaks to your conscience. And, and so, with that, we're going to see the things today that, that the Lord is speaking to us on. And the aspect and the importance of being a teacher. You Yeah, you might be a pastor, you might be a leader, you might be an elder, a deacon in your church... But here's the thing, you might be a parent or a grandparent. That's where the true teaching comes in. That's where ministry starts and begins and it ends, is in the home, first and foremost. And that is where you want to remember to to pay very close attention to these things, because again, what we teach our children will echo throughout time. Well, it will echo throughout society. Now, what they will do with it is one thing. But for you to teach them well and to teach them accurately is pleasing to the Lord. Now, we're going to be looking at James chapter 3. And this is the warnings to the word to the teachers. Okay, And we're going to start off in just verses 1 through 2. And it says, My my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. But if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. Abel also... To bridle, brittle, or bridle the whole body. Now, I said before there is no such thing as perfection, because you know we look at we look at teaching. It was a very, extremely highly valued and respected uh, profession in the Jewish culture, and of course the the same thing that for these Jews who embraced Christianity, they wanted to become teachers at some point. A lot of them. And if you read the pastoral epistles of of, uh, Paul the Apostle, he gives the example in in the pastoral epistles being like Titus and Timothy. For those of you who desire to become pastors or desire to become leaders, he gives you kind of the the simple blueprints of what to do and how to be.
1: You know, it was a
0: great responsibility. You know, when, when we train somebody up in a job it It's very important there are people that are dealing with the lives of people. There are people in the medical field that that you want to make sure that your doctor who's operating on you is going to be able to make sure that you wake up from that operation. When you go into an airplane, you better make sure that pilot you know or you don't you won't know, but you hope that that pilot knows what they're doing. You hope that that pilot who's, who's uh, flying that plane, who, who's, um, your life is partially in their hands to an extent. You better hope that they you know what they're doing. But I want to remind you of something of very important here in the aspect of godly teachers and, and pastors. See, we don't just deal with people's lives. We're dealing with people's eternities. And that is the key. That is, that is the remembrance of what we must remember. That that you are dealing with people's eternities, not just their lives. And, and so, James said in chapter 1 to be a doer of the Word. See, that's what Christ was. Be a doer of the Word, not just a hearer of it. Because how would you know what is what? How would you know what is real? Right? We, we could say that, um, you know, proper speech. Right It is not only saying the right words at the right time, but it's also uh, controlling your desire to say what you shouldn't say. something I've had to learn the hard way so many times. We're going to get to that point in a little bit of, of the power of the tongue here, uh, an issue that I've battled with for years when I get riled up. you know And so we have to make sure that that we are learning with accuracy and with passion. I call it my PA system, passion and accuracy. (laughs) That's what I like to call it, passion and accuracy. Because because when you're accurate, you're right. You you know, God is never wrong. God's word has always been proven to be right. So God is good all the time, but God is also right all the time. You know, it's funny when the... um, Even the the Pharisees, these were the teachers, right? These were the head teachers of all of Israel and of all the leaders, if you will. And they were speaking to Jesus, right? And they said to him, good teacher. And, And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only the Father is good. And so there's something important, I think, to make known here is that the word good in the biblical standpoint is a translation of perfection, because when God created the earth, it was good. Well, at the time when he created it, it was perfected before sin came into the picture. So when we think of the word good in our, in our modern day society, in our language, we think, oh, it was good, it was okay. But in the, in the word good in the biblical sense is the form of perfection. God is good. When God created the earth, it was good. Good teacher. I am the good shepherd, he said, because he is of perfection. They called it accurately. See, Jesus wasn't saying that, oh, you got it all wrong. Why are you calling me good? What he was saying was is that making it known that why do you call me good? Isn't the Father only good? Made made them think, I'm sure. So what he was saying was is that you are looking at the Father. You called it accurately and so but Jesus also spoke in parabolic uh, uh, teaching which was very common amongst the Jewish teaching of those days the parabolic teaching was the ability to give them the um, an understanding of what it is that he was referring to and, and so again the importance of teachers was not just on how good you are from an academic standpoint but it was how good you are in life the bottom line is, is, do you live better than you preach? And I've said that to people before, and they were confused by it. Are you a doer of the word, not just a hearer of it? I have known, I have known and witnessed many people that sound wonderful wonderful behind a pulpit, but they live completely different behind a pulpit, or or, or when they're not behind the pulpit. Now, how is that an aspect of a good teacher? You know, over the years, I, I'll share with you why I chose the people I learned to, uh, that I choose, chose to learn from. The, the, the handful of pastors over the years that I have learned from, probably about five or six, yes, they were more or less scholars for the most part. Some of them are brilliant scholars. But the key was is that that I chose to learn from them because of who they are, not just behind the pulpit, but because of who they are in life. These were men that have, um, that have basically proven to be men of God, true men of God. And, and that's what the key was right there for me was that, it, that is that they were. Able to, to to preach and teach with accuracy, but to live it too. To, as they fight, you know, the, the key too is they recognize who they were. We're sinners just like you, right? Like everyone else, we're no different. We're no better. But we fight the good fight, and I think that right there is a is a big key: is fighting the good fight to live right. You know, not to stumble in words, right? To, to stumble in word, boasting um you know arrogance criticism two-facedness you know all these things that that, that we see or, or, or that a lot of things get called out in in the form of christianity we 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 look at um uh, Pro, the book of proverbs written by the wisest king that ever lived king solomon And we look at his words of wisdom and people came from all over just to hear him. Because God blessed him with with the ability of teaching and wisdom. But even he eventually fell because of the association of somebody that caused him to stumble. For we all stumble in many things he said. And, And so we have to be on guard at all times. We have to make sure that, that we are walking on the straight line and according. You know, it says here that teachers will be, you know, judged more strictly. You know, they, they will be judged more strictly. And, you know, somebody years ago tried to... They mistaken something about something and, and they came up to me. And they blew things, something completely out of proportion and the person who said this to me made that comment about well you need to be careful you know about the, these things because uh, you know uh those who teach will be ju- will be you know judged more uh accordingly if you will and and what's funny is the person that said this i've had to correct this person many times on some things that were not accurate now, granted, he was right by what he, by what he preached from the scriptures, but he wasn't right because of his, his, uh, his actions and his, and his accusations. But you see, another thing that, that, uh, that he didn't really quite seem to hit the ball on was the aspect of what I made known that, that yeah, you, just because somebody teaches and preaches well doesn't mean that makes him a good teacher. They, they may be living a whole other way, and so I made that comment too, and, and, and there wasn't much to say after that. And because there's truth to it, we have to we have to wonder, we have to wonder why people do what they do with the word of God. There must be a form of strictness in in what we do in the form of teaching. Yeah, you'll be judged more strictly because people believe in what you're saying. If you're taught that the earth is square and some people teach that and believe it even though we have valid proof that it's not but if people are teaching it people are going to follow it. And, And so how much more important with the things of God's word. That that, that is the thing right there that, that that angers the Lord because of the things that have happened, because of the way have people have gone astray. See, when a rabbi wanted to see when a rabbi wanted to um, take somebody on under their wing. They would observe the person. They'd probably go up to them and, you know, tap them on the shoulder and say, "Follow me." And we know that that was a cultural aspect of it, because that's exactly what our our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus did with Matthew, the tax collector. He walked up to the guy at the tax collecting table, and he just said, follow me. And he stood up and walked away from his profession that was hated by everybody. And Matthew's writings through his gospel were done extremely well. And, and so we look at that and we see that he was taught well through example, taught well through, through the perfection of academia through our Lord and Savior, who was the Word, who had all the answers, who lived perfectly. So we also need to just strictly stay to the Word of God and not go astray. And again, that is, I am scared to death of what I do. I've told people that, and they look at me with, with shock, and it's because I'm wielding the, the world's sharpest sword. That's what the Bible is. If somebody handed you a sword and say start swinging it around, you're going to be a little leery of it. But when you start you know, messing with the Word of God, you, you're playing with a whole other weapon. And so, yes, I am scared to death of what I do, because I do not want to be off. I might not be liked by everybody I heard, and that's fine, because anybody who preaches goes through that. But I just want to make sure that I'm calling it for what it is, whether it's liked or not. It's simple. Read it and see it. Research it. Research it yourself. Don't just believe whatever your pastor says, because not every pastor is the pastor. A pastor is an example. A pastor is a, is, is a teaching example. Not just a, not just a college professor who, who um, indoctrinates you into something. The Word of God is, is complex but simple. It's advanced but simple. It's divine but simple. Anybody can follow along and the Lord will guide you through. Now check this out. This one goes to me here. (laughs) The power of the tongue, verse three to six. It says, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us. And we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder. Wherever the pilot desires, even so the tongue is a little, is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and a tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set so among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. You know, it, it, he made a good point here. The, the bit in the horse's mouth, the, the, um, the, the, um, the ship that is a, that, that basically has a small little rudder that controls the whole ship is amazing. The damage that, that could happen from words never leaves. See, when something leaves the mouth and enters the ears, it does not go away. We like to use a term um, that we teach kids nowadays. It's kind of like taking a a tube of toothpaste and squeezing every bit of toothpaste out of it and then telling them to put everything back in. And they say, well, you can't. Exactly. That's how it is with words. We must be careful of what we say. Anger causes us to do and say things that can destroy life. And, And so I have been notorious for such things in my youth and over the years especially when I especially when I got riled up i always used to i always used to joke that i could spit on somebody's lawn and catch it on fire if i wanted but you know what over the years through the tra- transformation of the holy spirit it's allowed me to to use god's word instead of my own, for, for helping people instead of hurting people. And, you know, we look at Proverbs uh, chapter 10, verses 19 and 21. It says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the, wicked, the heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom." And I've always also liked Proverbs 16, I think it's uh, verse 24. It says, now pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. What we say matters. What we do matters. See, it always starts in the head, travels to the heart, and then through the hands, or through the mouth, or whatever it might be. And, and what you say is kind of like almost as bad as what you might do. You might not have ever physically hurt somebody before, but you could have damaged a life verbally in there very easily. Just as guilty. And what's funny is, is that you can you can take a beating and stuff, and people forget about that, but they seem to never forget about the words that were ever said to them. God, give us the strength. To make sure that we never say the things that we do to harm a life. And I pray for those that have been hurt by words, that the Lord will give you the strength to rise from those ashes. And that you will never do that. That you will never have to retaliate or, or, or worry about such things. Because again, when the Holy Spirit lives in you, He gives you the words. God, give me wisdom. God, give me the, the words to say. Allow you to control my tongue, Father Lord. Allow every, may every word that proceeds from my mouth be of your word. Because everything about his word is good. Not one thing in the Bible has ever been, ever seen in the form of negativity to harm somebody out of God's word. And so, we look at these illustrations. You know, the the, the, the the small objects, the small objects that can control a very large situation. Wars have been started over, war, uh, over words and lives have been lost over words. Verse 7 and 8 says, For every kind of beast, a bird, of reptile, and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame his tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Yeah, very true. Very true. You know, but you know what? It can be brought under the control of the Lord. The Lord can bring it under control. If nobody can control the tongue, then, then why bother trying, Right? Well, even if we may not achieve perfection, you know, or, the, or control of the tongue, we can still learn. We can learn enough, right, to control or to reduce damage. The Holy Spirit will give the increasing power, always has, always will, to, you know, to monitor or to control what we say. And that when we are offended, the Spirit will remind us in God's love. And, and, and God willing, we won't react in a in a hateful manner, but when, but when we are criticized, the spirit will heal the hurt, and and we won't lash out. That is a very very uh, important gift that mankind needs to have: the ability not to lash out. Let us speak truthfully, as the word as the word says. Kindly, where needed. Sometimes we might have to say something that might not be easy to hear on somebody. But I've always said, you know, people people like to say, well, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Well, we need that, but what we need even more so is the way the Lord did it. See, Christ did it in the way of, he told you what you needed to hear, but he told you in a way you would want to hear it. And when he told you in the way that you would want to hear it, it was effective. It pierced the heart, and it pierced the soul and the mind. It brought a form of repentance, because only he had the ability to speak of perfection. To speak of perfection through those who were doing the worst of things. The man at the the man the layman at the healing pool. Very simple, you are healed and forgiven, but he just said, you know, stop doing what you're doing. Or else it will completely destroy you. And whatever it is that he did to get himself into that condition, he needed to hear that. But I'm sure it was in the way he wanted to. When the the lady caught in adultery was about to be stoned... Who knows what the people that were standing around there holding them rocks were saying to her? But Jesus, knowing exactly what was what, came and just said, He just said, Go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. Isn't that something? Isn't it kind of nice to, to have the Holy Spirit around to, to, to speak to your conscience? Sometimes we all need a little spiritual smack to the head sometimes, but he doesn't even do that. He convicts you. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? And if that happens to you, that's a good thing. Because if you are not convicted by the things you do, then, then really I question if the Spirit is anywhere near you, if not in you. If we don't have that conscience, if we don't have that ability to feel hurt and pain after we've done something wrong, then something's very wrong with us. And we need to make it right. There's only one way to really do that effectively. And that effective way is to be driven from inside out By inviting the Lord into your life. You ask Him to enter your heart. And He enters not just your heart, but He enters your mind, your soul. He's in you. He comes in and dwells with you. Am I saying that you're going to sin no more? No, unfortunately not. Not until you go to heaven. (laughs) But you will have a guide. You will have an advocate. You will have a way. Because without Him, there's no way. But, He gave us a way, because He was the way, the truth, and the life. He's, He's alive and living and active. And if you're hearing this for the first time, I welcome you to a voice in the distance ministries. I, and I want to welcome you to the kingdom of heaven. Because a part of this, major part of this ministry is bringing people to the Lord. Is bringing souls to heaven. Because he doesn't want anybody to be apart from him. But he gives you the choice. So if you have been led, if you have been convicted, you felt that on your conscience, and you, and you said to yourself, I, I do want the Lord, I do want help. You might not have another human soul there to help you, and that's fine, because, you know what, when the Lord helps you, it's so much better. But sometimes He also sends people as well. You can be one of them. But you have to you have to make the change, and you have to make the, the, the choice. You have to make the choice first to receive, and then the change can be made. If you feel led, I want you to repeat this prayer after me, and it's a you inviting Him into your life, into your heart. And he will come if you say and, and, and pray this in truth. So repeat after me, dear God. Please forgive me. Forgive me of all of my sins, Lord. As I confess to you that I am a sinner. Wash me and cleanse me of all my sins, Lord. And Lord, I ask you, Lord, to come into my heart right now, Father. And to dwell in my heart. As I receive you as my Lord and my Savior, I receive you as my Father, my King. And I pray, Lord, that you will receive me as your child, Father. That I might enter your kingdom when my time comes. I thank you for dying for me. I receive you now. I love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Tough pill to swallow sometimes hearing this stuff, but you know what? It's it's good. We need it. Because if we don't, then we'll never, ever improve. We will never be better. We will never get better. And, and again, see, when Christ came down from heaven, he basically was bringing the culture of heaven to us. And so we live in a world... That suffers from a lot of darkness But we also are surrounded by light So it's time to do what's right It's time to, to be the light Because our time here is short So I want to welcome you to the kingdom of God I want to welcome you to the family And it's always good to hear from you And I pray that you have said that prayer in truth and that your family and you will walk in God's word and truth for all of your lives. God bless you.